is the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. Way more interesting than anything you're listening to on NPR. Probably less exciting than what you're watching on OnlyFans. Bruh. We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Ow. Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, Come on, man. and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started. Welcome back to the Lectile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. I'm Ashton Cohen. I'm joined today by Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. Michael is a former professor of liberal studies at NYU. He is the author of 11 books, including Thought Criminal, Beyond Woke, Google Archipelago, and Springtime for Snowflakes. He's an absolutely brilliant writer. I've been a fan of his for a long time. And if you're you know, trying to figure out why our culture, why our schools, why our media, our corporation, our places of work, our governments, our medical establishment, the science community, you know, even, even Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, the CIA, <laughs> how all these things have gone what we call woke, this ideologically sort of rigid absurd form of identity politics and mix them with authoritarianism, why everything is racist and sexist and transphobic, if you dare dissent to any of the policies or values that are espoused by certain political and cultural elites. If you wonder where all that stuff comes from, the person we got here I think is one of the best people to ask. And so we're going to talk a bit about this sort of phenomenon that we're going through this current moment what this ESG thing's about, Great Reset, I'm sure some of you have heard about that, sounds like a conspiracy theory, but you know, we'll sort of untangle how that interacts with, with society and just this crazy moment we're living in today. So Dr. Rechtenwald, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for being with me. Thanks for, being, thanks for having me, Ashton. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So let's start off here. You got, there's, Polling by uh, the Cato Institute sort of made the rounds. Even the New York Times covered it. The vast majority of Americans feel that they cannot speak openly about their beliefs. The only group who that the, was the exception from that circumstance. So they pulled people who who labeled themselves very liberal, liberal, moderate, very conservative, and conservative. And the only group who felt that they could openly discuss their beliefs were the very liberals. The majority of them believed that they could. Mm -hmm. uh, even liberals felt the majority of them felt they can't be open about their beliefs. And obviously, 77% conservatives felt they couldn't, 64% moderates. And, you know, this just confirms something that we all uh, are used to by this point. We all know your life can obviously be ruined for something that is interpreted as offensive to the most unreasonable, insane people in society, right? So in the law, we have a reasonable person standard. And today in culture, we have an unreasonable person standard. If, if you say something offensive to the most unreasonable person, that's enough to destroy your life. And uh, you, you even have some of those pub powerful publications like New York Times, for example, or Washington Post, going after private citizens, har harassing them, doxing them, targeting them. We saw this with the Nick Sandbin, uh, Covington Catholic kids incident, right, where they're confronted by a Vietnam War mm -hmm. protester. So basically private citizens can, can meet the wrath of all of corporate America today. They, they, uh, children, right? Yeah. Obviously, this extends to... The other stuff we're talking about with, you know, being blacklisted from taking part in the financial ecosystem, PayPal, Stripe, uh, your bank account can be seized if you're in an unfavorable industry. 
And, you know, we can just go on all this stuff. And, and now even, you know, coming from a lawyer background, you even see this now with certain firms won't represent you if you are from a, uh, you know, if you're an undesirable or deplorable, which, which is just an extremely dangerous thing in society as well. Where do you think... So this is all what we call sort of that, that woke phenomenon where – and I've been asking people where they think this all stems from. Where do you think this all sort of stems from and why was it like the last 10, 15 years it, it's really exploded? Well, it stems from a long march through the institutions uh, by the socialists and uh, others, especially socialists, Marxists and so forth, uh, beginning all the way back in the 1930s, frankly. And uh, we're talking about an infiltration of our institutions that's at least seven decades old at this juncture. Uh, you could say that uh, the infiltration begins uh, as early as uh, 1916, 1915 with uh, the, uh, the socialists that were fomenting uh, revolutionary aspirations for Russia uh, mm -hmm. in New York City. Uh, and uh, they, they went over to the Soviet Union and, uh, or what became the Soviet Union and Russia and uh, participated in the revolution. But you, you could say that the cultural Marxists really uh, started all this uh, beginning with uh, Antonio Gromsky's ideas as published in his prison notebooks. But then the arrival on the U.S. shores of uh, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory in 1933 and their establishment in, uh, at, at Columbia University. And they begin what Gramsci called, you know, uh, the attempt to uh, establish uh, cultural hegemony, to destroy, uh, to overturn the dominant ideologies and ideo or ideological framework and to establish in its place a socialist one. Uh, the intolerance and all that goes back to the Frankfurt School in particular, uh, Herbert Marcuse and his essay on tolerance, pure tolerance, and uh, his uh, basically licen licensing the left to utterly uh, destroy and shut down all expression that is not leftist in orientation, and he has a, a labyrinth and justification for that. And then, you know, it continues through the 60s and 70s. Uh, that essay was published in 61, uh, I believe. And then it continues through the 60s and 70s. But it goes into a kind of uh, hibernation for a while. <clears throat> while the forces of uh, repression are fomenting and collecting in the universities and uh, starting to spread outside of the universities into the state system and everything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, into corporations and so forth. So, you know, the term woke comes out of the African-American community in the 1970s, and it meant mm -hmm. basically hip to what's going on. And then it, it started to mean uh, alert to racial and social injustice. And so you have this identity politics group uh, that are uh, alert to racial and social injustice and uh, they begin to meld with the authoritarian uh, left. And this authoritarian left uh, really determines the tone and everything about this mm -hmm. uh, movement. 
the authoritarianism begins all the way from Marcuse and his essay, as I mentioned. I think it's essay on pure tolerance or critique of pure, pure tolerance. Um, in any case, it's, uh, it's a seminal essay that totally uh, lays, it's a blueprint for how the left should regard other people's speech and how they should regard other, other people's actions. Anything but leftist is to be totally shut down. Mm-hmm. And they justify this, uh, he does, through supposed notion that, you know, if it's not liberational, then it shouldn't be voiced. Um, so yeah. the university starts to heat up again in 2016, especially with uh, the nomination of Trump mm-hmm. and the general election between Trump and Clinton. This is when wokeness breaks out into a rash, really, in the universities, and I faced it, the wrath of it there at NYU, uh, and I noticed how uh, disturbing it was becoming, the shutting down of speakers, the safe spaces, the no, plat- you know, no platforming, uh, the uh, bias reporting hotlines that were installed in universities, uh, all kinds of crazy measures. And, uh, and with Trump, I think it really is triggered because he pushes the buttons directly on the politically correct and so they start to associate the the attack with polit- the attack against political correctness with fascism, because they're they're you know they're suggesting that Trump is a fascist, and that in fact his very uh, his very political platform is based on racism and sexism and and so on and so forth, uh, given his his immigration policies and all that. And it justifies them, they think, yeah, I th- to become well, as authoritarian as necessary. One of the things that that and so you obviously touched on the the socialists foundational aspect of this. That yeah. So, so the, the socialist part makes sense. One of the weird phenomenons that we're living in right now is where you can be like a super rich billionaire and be one of the good guys. Like Pfizer's one of the good guys now, right? And uh, you know, Mark Benioff of Salesforce is one of the good guys, and you know, uh, some of these these VC, you know, Nancy Pelosi is married to a a billionaire, almost billionaire venture capital guy, and as you see in Silicon Valley as well, all these all these billionaires are good guys. The CIA is now has I think more favorable view Democrats have of the CIA than Republicans do, and certainly of Liz Cheney, which is just like I never you know I'm not that right. old, I never thought any of this stuff would happen. So that's the weirdest component of it all because the traditional socialist model would have been, and you saw this play out, and I saw you write about it. You saw this play out perfectly with the Canadian trucker protest, where the so-called very left-wing, you know, for the common man, tradi- you know, traditional Labor Party, ran by Justin Trudeau, is putting his foot down on truckers who are like as blue collar as it gets, right? And and resorting to authoritarian means in order to shut them down and destroy anybody who supports them. How did that angle sort of manifest itself? Because that's the weirdest thing I think of, of all in terms of this woke stuff where you can be a good guy or good gal, or, you know, wherever, or, you know, I don't know if we still use those terms anymore. If that, maybe those are not, not allowed to be said anymore either. But you can be like a billionaire and be on the good side, and then like the working people who don't follow your insane, you know, ideological niche cultural issues are the bad people. Right. Well, what what it is is that the the establishment used Trump as a foil and a means to get the entire left basically uh, in support of their views of their of their platform of their agenda. 
And so now you have a left that's completely allied with, uh, as you said, the alphabet agencies, uh, big tech, big digital, or um, big pharma, uh, basically the entire uh, political and economic establishment is uh, basically uh, supported by leftists, as you put it. And I should say that they are also using leftist ideology in order to uh, promote their own agenda. Uh, they are using wokeness as an ideology in order to create uh, what I think are monopolies. Uh, this is a means of monopolization. They're using it as a demarcation device. If you're not woke, you'll be starved of capital. And I can talk about this more when we get into the Great Reset. But they're using wokeness as an ideological dividing line to, to destroy certain in industries and producers and agencies and, and people and to funnel capital and support and political capital and so forth to uh, the woke. Mm -hmm. So wokeness is a demarcation device. It's a means of establishing a particular hegemony of po politics, uh, economics, culture, etc. It also has a function, the wokeness does. It has a function uh, to establish this idea that the majority is basically everything they've earned, everything they've gotten uh, economically, their rights, everything has been, has been uh, given on the basis of privilege. Mm -hmm. So they are meant to have these privileges revoked and this is the premise for the Great Reset. This is the ideological component. They want to make the majority feel unworthy of the, what they have economically, the rights they in, have enjoyed hitherto, and so forth. And the point is to eradicate that, to reduce our standard of living, to reduce our rights if not eliminate them. And, and wokeness is a totalitarian uh, tool to do so. Who's the useful idiots in this, that in this situation? Sense? Yeah, is it is it the, the left? The left or the black, So, like the Black Lives Matter crowd, are the are, those kinds of people are the useful idiots, and the puppet masters are people like BlackRock, or is it the other way around? Yeah, it's that it's that way. That's how it is. Uh, the globalist elite are the puppeteers. People like Antifa and Black uh, Black Lives Matter activists are actually the dupes. They're completely soldiers. Uh, there are soldiers, foot soldiers for this global elite to establish their, their, uh, their agenda. Uh, so they're using them and they're weaponizing them and they're weaponizing identity as a means to destroy the aspirations and the prospects and the economic viability and the rights of this majority that they have to get rid of. They have to get them, they have to get rid of their their, their, their dominance of the society. This explains so many things, why there's unfettered immigration, why there's a war against white, white people, uh, why they're weaponizing particular identities against, against white people and the vast majority in general, uh, why this has become like a shibboleth that you have to espouse, that you have to avow and, and speak, uh, otherwise you'll be deemed uh, a complete you know, reprobate a, a deplorable. Uh, this is how they're doing it. So these these activists, the left, 
are the dupes. They're, they're the useful idiots. They are the equivalent of the useful idiots or the true believers in the Soviet Union or with the Russian Revolution. I should call it the Bolshevik Revolution mm-hmm. because it was not really undertaken by Russians at all. Right. Uh, the Bolshevik Revolution, you know, the true believers were the useful idiots who then, when the time came, you know, got theirs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, in many cases, they got imprisoned or shot. Yeah. So, you know, hear, hearing you speak, and I'm sure people who are trying to wrap their heads around this for the first time or maybe not as familiar, it does sound very conspiratorial. But if you just look at it, so for example, one of the things I was making around on Twitter, which is quite funny, was Lockheed Martin has the, they sell the um, gay pride socks. And, and not only are they the, the rainbow flag socks, but mm-hmm. they're the, it's the new version of the rainbow flag with the intersectional stripes on it uh, and the uh, uh, trans stripes on it. Yeah. And you know, this is this is a company that makes fighter jets, right? And and Raytheon has you know uh, likes to talk about its uh, you know, commitment to diversity and and gender rights and all that. And so you know you you really see and the more they talk about that stuff, the more they kind of get a free pass, right? So economic issues aren't discussed as much on the left. These niche issues right. such as trans rights and being able to you know give your kids hu- puberty blockers right they get sort of center attention and you know the uh rising in wages and all that stuff is, is sort of is an afterthought so i guess i pretty much exp- explains who the useful idiots are because they're the, the the big power interests are getting what they want all they have to do is is feign you know support for the cause of the day uh and, and they get away with it yeah i've talked about this particular uh, floated, you know, the various theories about woke capitalism. And the typical explanation is it's a means by which these corporations, they basically give uh, rhetorical uh, concessions in lieu of economic concessions. That's that's one theory. Mm-hmm. The other one is that it placates the lo- glo- uh, the political elite, the, the left elite, and so this keeps them from initiating regulations or... Uh, uh, antitrust legislation at the uh, at the corporation. That's another explanation. But I think the real explanation is that it actually benefits these corporations directly. It is not just a means of placating the, the left and getting them off your back. They're actually using wokeness as a as a means for their ends. And where are their ends? What do they want, and and, and why? Their ends are. Their ends are, yeah, their ends are to establish what I call corporate socialism, and that is a kind of uh, two-tiered system where you have corporate monopolies and the state on top and actually existing socialism for the masses. Uh, a corporate-run, corporate state-run socialist system. I'm just cutting to the chase here because... Right. I've been writing about this for some time, and I've gone through all the possibilities, and I've eliminated the ones that I think... I mean, there's some truth to the idea that they use wokeness to placate the left and to you know, right. give them uh, rhetorical and placebos and all that, but that's not the whole of it. That mm-hmm. doesn't explain why the ESG score is being driven from uh, the top down, uh, why, this, why they are using the ESG... Uh, what what's going on there? That so this woke capitalism mm-hmm. is a lot more than PR campaigns and advertising. It is, it's a whole economic program. A couple things on on based on what you said. So corporate socialism essentially in, that's a, that's analogous to what the Chinese model is, right? You have a few favored industries. They work with the government. They. If they get a little bit too out of hand, maybe then you know you'll have someone like she make sure they know their role. But otherwise, they can sort of right. as long as they play ball, 
they control industries. No one can be a competitor because the moats are, are pretty much impenetrable. And obviously the regulatory state fits into that as well, makes it impossible for startups to come and disrupt. So you have these these ingraining right. industries. And so when you talk about yeah. the ESG stuff being a major part of that, you know, even Bloomberg refers to BlackRock as the fourth branch of government, right? So this is, again, this isn't a conspiratorial world thing, even though it sounds like it. So they refer to BlackRock as the fourth branch of government. This is the biggest asset manager world, has several trillions of dollars at its disposal. It was responsible. It worked coordinating with the government to trillion, um, yeah. distribute, I believe, the stimulus money, right? This most recent round in the COVID checks. And then, so then on the flip side, they create these, they have these trillions of dollars from these pension funds and all that that people unknowingly have with them, right? It's not a lot of the people didn't choose to have their money BlackRock, it's just there. And then they can use that money as sort of leverage to get concessions out of certain industries and the industry say, no, we don't want to do that. Okay, fine, you're not going, you're not, you're getting a bad ESG score. And then we're pushing some of that money into this, into these ESG funds we have. And now you're robbed of all that capital that we control, right? That's right, exactly. It's a way of starving the non-compliant non-woke producers, people, industries out of existence. It's a, it's a way of starving them of capital. The ESG is a monopoly scheme. I don't know if you saw, but at the Bitcoin conference recently, uh, Peter Thiel had a pretty good line. He said, when you think ESG, think CCP, right? So that's kind of, so talk to, talk to us a little yeah. bit about the relationship between that and China. Is it that they just they kind of are envious of of China's ability to control. We see what's happening, for example, with Shanghai, and I've been following a little bit of the coverage of Shanghai, and it's it's kind of given um, on some of these major news networks. Uh, you know, I think I was watching what NBC the other day. It's kind of like just like a matter of fact kind of story. There's no real demonstration of horror of what they're doing. They, this is Shanghai. This is one of those. This is like the third largest city in the world, one of the most important cities in the world. And they shut the entire city down and people are crying from their apartment buildings and they can't get food. All the food's run out in a lot of different places. You know, they're, they're separated from their children. It's just absolute control, right? They, they're killing dogs and cats en masse. Who knows what else they're doing to other people? So do you think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a somewhat of a coordination with China? Or do you think it's just like they, they look to them as a role model? Uh, that's a great question and one I've pondered quite a bit. Um... So there's a couple factors involved. First of all, you've got China as a huge market for uh, many big tech and other corporations. So mm -hmm. one of the things is they're beholden to China economically. And so China has used their economic leverage as a means to drive their ideology through. Uh, so the throughput is ideology. So in, in, in doing business with China, many of these companies have come to resemble or uh, to adopt, in effect, the Chinese ideological uh, standpoint and practices. Uh, so big tech ends up resembling, uh, with their censorship and, and their no platforming and their, and their uh, information uh, uh, control, in the case of Google, the way that not only controlling you know, your opinions, but also all information in general. Right. Uh, this is all ends up looking like it's modeled after China. And then mm -hmm. I think there's another aspect that uh, you're, you're looking at these oligarchs that are looking at China and saying, maybe China's got the right idea of how to run uh, the relationship between government and, and business. Maybe this model is better than what we have. It mm -hmm. gives us more control. It gives us a captive market. Mm -hmm. It drives, uh, keeps out competitors, uh, and so they're 
they looked at China and said, you know, this is, yeah, we want it. This is the kind of system right. that works. And uh, it looks like it's, it's got growth potential. Uh, and uh, it, it, it looks to work and controlling uh, the consumer and uh, keeping uh, competitors out of the field. And then the third thing, I think, is simply that uh, the, the, the ideology that has been adopted just happens to resemble China's. Uh, as the left infiltrating these companies uh, after you know graduating from top schools, uh, left you know these left-inflected business people ended up really being attracted to to you know uh, the CCP's ideological uh, standpoint, and so they've adopted it. No, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, for, for some, it seems like a rational decision. I mean, CCP works out great if you're one of the favorite industries, right? If you're one of the connected people, which they already are. So why not That's just right. make sure that, works out great. that you have that entrenched? The state LA, becomes their friend. Yeah. 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 One of the corollaries we saw here was, was in Los Angeles. You had the mayor of, during COVID, you're the mayor of LA, Garcetti, threatened to shut off people's water and power if they don't abide by his, uh, you know, artificial mandates. So that's, I mean, if that's not China, then I right. don't know what is. Yeah. Yeah. In China, I'm sorry, in Canada, I said in China, in Canada, uh, you saw how, you know, these kind of uh, CCP style um, uh, dictates were implemented with reference to the truckers and mm -hmm. their supporters, shutting down bank accounts, uh, completely shutting down their ability to protest. You know, I mean, they did everything but drive a tank at them, as in Tiananmen Square. I mean, really, they crushed these people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. It's just interesting because the leftists in Canada, and you mentioned as well, even the Socialist Party in Canada supported the basically um, draconian measures against the truckers, right, who are presumably supposed to be their constituency. And But then they'll call places like like Hungary or Poland or some of these <laughs> these other states, you know, like undermining democracy, right? And it, which is just hilarious. Right. How do you think, by the way, this Ukraine situation, this is really funny because, first of all, let me let me say, I, of course, I, I, I'm on you know, Team Ukraine for the record. I, I, I think what, what's happened to them is disgusting and, and my heart breaks for them. Interesting thing, though, is, you know, there's been a lot of conflict. There's been a lot of, of really unfortunate events have happened throughout the world. This one seems to animate the mainstream press and the ruling class more so than anything else to the point, and I've never seen this. So I was walking around West Hollywood the other week, and you'll just walk down these these restaurants and bars. They have the Ukrainian flag outside. I've never seen that for, for any other cause or any other nationality. You know, this is usually a, a side that... that isn't terribly concerned with what's going on outside the world, right? They sort of progressive activist types. Yeah. And but like they just love their Ukrainian flags now. How do you think that plays into some of the other themes that you're touching on? Because there, there's so much attention being paid, yeah. being directed towards Ukraine, for example, by the progressive activists. Yeah. Well, I want to sort of uh, echo what you said. I think what uh, Putin's done in invading Ukraine is dreadful. It's abominable, and it should be condemned. Uh, unequivocally. So that I will say. But let me say this about how the West has a major, has played a major hand in this. So they have used Ukraine as a more or less a staging area uh, for globalism. And their main target in this is not just Ukraine, but Russia. Uh, Russia stood and stands as an impediment to the total globalization of the economy and global interests as such. 
Uh, it has a tremendous amount of natural resources. It has a tremendous amount of economic potential uh, that is not quite totally realized. Um, and it is, you know, based on Putin's political uh, standpoint, it is a, an obstacle. So they've used, you know, they threw a coup in, in, in Ukraine in 2014, uh, the, the CIA and the Obama administration, and, uh, in, you know, they overthrew a, a democratically elected uh, president, although it was a corrupt election. They nevertheless overthrew this uh, democratically elected president, however democratic or not the process was. And they installed Poroshenko, who was a uh, anti-Russian uh, aggra aggravator, really. And he, they began then attacking Donbass, the Donbass region. And uh, so, you know, it's not like the West is, sh is shameless or innocent here. And they, they served up the pretext for, for Putin to, in, to invade. I'm not saying they're responsible for the invasion, mm -hmm. but they served up the pretext for the invasion. So the way I see it is that the, 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 the battle in uh, Ukraine and the battle effectively is now a battle for Russia, is a battle for globalism as against national sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Russia's national sovereignty is a, an impediment, especially as the way it's being uh, implemented, the way, the posture that Putin and has taken with reference to the West. And so they want to eliminate it, and they want to dethrone Putin. They want a coup, in effect, in Russia. They want to vilify Putin to the extent that they can get rid of him, either through a color revolution or some other means, uh, criminal war trials, whatever, anything to get, get him out of power and get Russia involved as a satellite to the global agenda. Mm -hmm. and, and to bring it to another context, with, would you say the same thing with India? Because we hear a lot about Modi, as well, a decent amount about Modi as well. He seems to draw the ire of the sort of Western press as well. And it seems like India has some of the same dynamics where it's kind of like, a, it's under Modi at least it seems to be a... Um, now, I'm not, too, you know, I'm not intimately familiar with all the bad things he's done or good things or whatever, but yeah, I'm just observing it. And um, you know, India kind of has the same thing, which is a tremendous amount of untapped potential. Seems to be quite nationalistic as well now. Do you, do you have any thoughts mm -hmm. on that? Yeah, I think to a lesser extent that's true. I think, mm -hmm. uh, but India has a, uh, is, has a degree of uh, has a huge contingent of socialists there. And I think mm -hmm. they're much more, uh, even though Modi is, is somewhat of an obstacle, I think he's more willing to play ball than Putin uh, because he's more anti-Western than, than, uh, than India is. Okay, yeah. So how does, how does the Great Reset fit into this? What, how is it affecting our lives now and how does it aim to change things going forward? Well, I mean, what... What they're doing is it's a multi-pronged approach here. And now, it's not a conspiracy, and, it's, and talking about it is not a conspiracy theory. And I'll tell you why. Because it's an open, avowed project. There's nothing clandestine about it. It's on the table. So it's, not, it's neither a conspiracy nor talking, is talking about it a conspiracy now Who's speaking about it openly, by the way, for the audience? The World Economic Forum, in particular, 
which is the main driving force behind the idea of a Great, great Reset. Uh, and in conjunction with the UN, which uh, they're partners with, they partnered with the UN to, uh, to advance Agenda 2030. They have a partnership and a framework for that. Uh, the World Economic Forum promised to bring to the table their, co their corporate partners, that is money, and also their, their expertise on digital governance. Uh, this is all in the WEF's own language. So uh, the, the Great Reset is a multi-pronged project, including the economic things we've talked about a little bit, the ESG score, stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism is just the, the infrastructure, well, the ideological and uh, economic infrastructure for driving the ESG. The ESG is just an instance of stakeholder capitalism, but it's the one they're using to bring about these economic changes we've, we've referred to already. And uh, there's also a governance element, which is very important, and that is the WEF speaks about public-private partnerships and is a driving the agenda for public-private mm -hmm. partnerships. And that means the state and corporations together, working together uh, to enact governance. So in that mm -hmm. sense, the state is not only getting resources from these corporations, uh, they're getting more power from these corporations. They're getting, in, uh, and then the state deputizes these corporations to be part of itself. This increases the power of the state, and at the same time, it uh, severely erodes democracy because these corporations were not elected by anybody. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's the governance element. And then, of course, there's the fourth industrial revolution element, which is the uh, technology part, and there you have uh, this implementation of uh, 4IR, Fourth Industrial Revolution Technologies, for governance and for many other things. And this includes the prospect for, um, you know, social credit scores on a digital identity basis, mm -hmm. that is establishing digital, digital identities. Uh, yeah, digital currency, CBDC. Uh, central bank digital currency uh, and so forth. Now these are these things already exist. So what you might look at the the Great Reset is just like they're looking at developments that exist already, and then they're trying to push through other developments and they're packaging them all together as this Great Reset. So there's these disparate elements that they draw in, and they package it as this Great Reset, and then it plays out in local contexts differently wherever it's enacted. Uh, so that in the U.S., for example, it, it's been called Build Back Better, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then, of course, you have the immigration element, which I think is part of it. Uh, this is all part of uh, creating a kind of global governance by virtue of, dis, you know, basically destabilizing the, the sovereign nation state vis-a-vis these public-private partnerships, but also, you know, unfettered immigration into the West and U.S. and other Western countries. Uh, and uh, there's, there's, there's so many other elements. Um, you, could, you could point to uh, the inflation as part of this. How's that? Uh, it is a way to make money worth less. Uh, hopefully not worthless, but worth less. 
so that the purchasing power of money is less, and therefore the resources that people can get on the basis of this money is less. And so it lowers the standard of living, which is one of the objects here of the, of the first world, if you will. They want to lower the standard of living of the first world because we're consuming too many resources. We're consuming too much gas. We're eating too much meat. Mm-hmm. All of these mm-hmm. things have to be stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because this sustainability is a major prong here. And so climate change uh, mm-hmm. is a major pretext here for driving all this through. Right, just as COVID was before. So so, the, so if we, we sort of tie it together, and it's, it's yeah. very interesting. So you got the same forces that were pushing, so this predated COVID, obviously, but COVID accelerated. The same forces that were basically pushing policies that entailed, the, the pushing the COVID policies that entailed a result in which places like Costco and Amazon would significantly benefit, whereas the mom and pop restaurants, the minority owned restaurant would be closed out of business, right. are the same ones exactly. who are endorsing every single radical measure under the auspices of fighting climate change, which we can call me are the same ones who are right. endorsing the measures that make energy significantly more expensive, fossil fuels significantly more expensive are the same ones who are also endorsing, right. as, as Biden said, you know, all these economists have, uh, and, and, you know, all these uh, Wall Street firms have have told, have assured me that inflation is going to be transitory. It's only going to be a, you know, that, that all this spending won't cause inflation. So the same ones endorsing those policies. And the same ones who are endorsing this view of open borders, which undermine sort of national sovereignty. So, <laughs> and then are the same ones who are also kind of pushing for as you said, a digital currency, which would result in basically complete control over your financial life. So, you know, you met your you know, your, your meat quota mm-hmm. for the month. Sorry, it's that transaction won't go through. That's right. You said something bad online. Sorry, you know, your, your things are frozen so we can investigate. And obviously there's the censorship angle as well, you know, deplatforming everyone. So when you tie that all together and, then, and you, you see them openly espousing all these things individually, right? The World Economic Forum partners, the big global partners, you know, BlackRock in particular would stands out as one of them. Then you could kind of see, mm-hmm. well, because it does, even when you talk to me about it, and I know, I know a bit about it, it does sound conspiratorial, but it's like, you know, at a certain point, there's, <laughs> there's been a lot of conspiracies that have kind of become true recently. And, and if you sort of go point by point, they seem to be in alignment on all these, all these different issues. This, the whole thing about conspiracies, and I just wrote an article called uh, What is a Conspiracy Theory? Because I, I want to put to rest some of this discourse about conspiracy theories being, you know, completely off uh, verboten, you know, completely off the table. Because, you know, all this really began with two things. The assassination of John F. Kennedy, of course, and the CIA's use of the phrase conspiracy theory to discredit all uh, to discredit all theories about that assass- that event. But uh, even before that, Karl Popper, uh, and this is probably where they drew their ideas from, Karl Popper wrote a book called The Open Society and Its Enemies in 1952, in which he uh, introduced the phrase, the conspiracy theory of society, and debunked this idea of a conspiracy theory of society. But it's very clear in that book that he's not denouncing all conspiracy theories at all. He's denouncing a complete and total conspiracy theory that explains just everything at all, and, uh, all results mm-hmm. as, as the result of a successful conspiracy on the part of particular 
players. So I, I re resuscitated this idea that, you know, some conspiracy theories are actually valid and that having conspiracy theories is right. not a violation of any kind of, uh, you know, knowledge uh, of, it's not a violation of any principle for acquiring knowledge about reality, social reality. In fact, there are conspiracies, as Popper noted, and then therefore some things can be explained with reference to conspiracies. Now, in terms of the Great Reset, it's not a conspiracy because it's not hidden, it's not secret. There's nothing secret about it. It's all on the up front. Now, tying all these different elements together may look like it's conspiratorial thinking. But really mm -hmm. what it is is taking the statements, the open statements and policies being recommended by the World Economic Forum and their governmental and corporate partners, taking them to the, extrapolating from them to see how they work, what, what will be the end of such things, what will be, what'll be the, the outcome of such things, and then tying together these disparate elements which they themselves address and talking mm -hmm. about what in fact will be the result of such policies and, if, and, and when enacted as, and as they are being enacted. So I just want to dismiss the idea yeah. that what I'm talking here is a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But even if it right. was, and, there's nothing wrong with conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, they, they they happen, of course, and you know, it's it's kind of like the the old, well, not the new term that they they constantly use to to shut down views that they don't like, which is misinformation or disinformation. It's essentially anything they disagree with or challenges the you know right. the, the the ruling narrative. You know, as we saw with the COVID lab leak, as we saw with, with the response to these COVID policies, which weren't based in science, and if you said that, then that's disinformation. So yeah, this is this is just one of the one of the ways to align somebody's views, which is their their often favorite tactic, rather than engaging in the the points of the of the debates. So exactly. Yes, I mean, listen, everything is you know, a bank robbery is a conspiracy, right? It's right. a <laughs> few people conspiring to undertake an act secretly. Now. Every bank robber will try to deflect attention away from what they're doing, naturally, because they don't want to be mm -hmm. caught. Similarly, conspirators of other types will, will try to deflect away from what they're up to. And so they will use, and one of the re ways they do this is by using this taboo against so-called conspiracy, against mm -hmm. conspiracy theories. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for the record, you know, I was always the, the guy who, who's very hesitant to believe any actual conspiracy theory, the common ones like the moon landing or anything like that. But, uh, but so even in yeah. my mind, it's, it's associated with something that, you know, is ipso facto fake, but you know, uh, of course it's used as yeah. both as a, as a cudgel and, and as a way to discredit. What is your view on, give us the, the, the worst case scenario and the best case scenario of how these phenomena that we just, we described play out such as the great reset, such as this corporate private, public partnerships, you know, uh, these, these private companies taking more control over the administrative process, over our lives, and sort of a creeping authoritarianism that, that we see in, in some Western societies mm -hmm. today. Okay, well, the, 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 the most negative way it could play out, I think I've written about in my book, Thought Criminal, which is a novel that plays out, you know, the way that this kind of system would, what it would turn into, which would be a dystopian nightmare. Uh, where your your every move is known and uh, even predicted and uh, even precluded in some cases, where your every transaction is recorded and known and controlled, uh, where uh, you are living in a kind of static 
hierarchy where you don't have any prospects to gain uh, you know, upward mobility or any kind of money, uh, no independent entrepreneurship, uh, on and on and on, it would be a hellhole. Uh, or to put it in Trumpian terms, if, I don't know if you're on YouTube. You're on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, a shithole. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I don't think it'll go that way because most totalitarian uh, movements are foiled in some, in, 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 or foiled eventually because I don't think. First of all, we have too much independent, uh, independent thinking, and we have too many, uh, we have too much of a strong constitution against these kind of things in the United States. Uh, I think that. And we have federalism, and so we have more regional control over things. We have ways to push back politically. We have ways to push back economically, uh, say, you know, avoiding the ESG-abiding companies, you know, supporting non-ESG-type corporations, becoming as entrepreneurial as possible, continuing to exploit the gaps in this system until we push it out, until we bust it apart. Um, and uh, we have too much, I think the human spirit is too resilient for this kind of dictatorship and that people will not abide it. Mm -hmm. uh, now, they're doing this incrementally so that we get used to one little thing after another, like the frog in, mm -hmm. in water uh, that you know, boils before they realize they're in boiling water and then can't jump out. Uh, but I think that this is one of the reasons I'm trying to, and with others, naturally, I'm not the only person writing and talking about this, get this, in, get this out there because people need to be warned about this incrementalism that they're using and to, to try to uh, you know, resist it as much as possible. So we are the real resistance, uh, unlike the left, who actually are you know, the hand puppets of these people. Not the guys who support Pfizer. And uh, and every every multi billion dollar. Yeah, operation. that's right. <laughs> yeah, right. And to be Isn't fair, that Pfizer, they do some good work too. We're just using up an analogy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. They do some good work. I, I don't yeah. I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. In fact, I actually take medications that I'm prescribed and I right. need. But uh, yeah, um, we're 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 on the right. I am. I consider myself on the right, and uh, I'm a right libertarian. And we're the only force that's fighting back against this, mm -hmm. not the left at all, uh, as it mm -hmm. turns out. Yep. And and the last last point on that was, you know, there used to be a, a more sizable left libertarian base that was going to be part equally as as opposed to some yeah, of these things. Right. They've kind of been neutered to a certain extent. There aren't as many, but that, I, it's one of the things I hope will happen because, you know, we could use natural allies on that side as well because I also pretty much identify as a right-leaning libertarian. Right. So so I, I hope that uh, – you know, I, I I am actually a little bit hopeful that there will be some reinvigoration in that in that constituency. I've seen some of it myself. That's certainly what I'm hopeful for. Yes. I think I do think crypto is going to play a role in that as well. I think some of these left libertarian types are gravitating towards that, and that's obviously another mechanism to 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 fight sort of uh, centralized planning and control. That's probably gives, gives me most hope. And on top of some of the things you mentioned, which is that it's when you already have so many different ways to fight back into the system as a society, where we're not North Korea, where where it's like. You know, everything was totalitarian from essentially, you know, the 1950s, and 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 so you can you can nip anything right. in the bud instantly. It's it's too complex to do that in, in this society and with our constitution. So I'm I'm hopeful as well. Uh, Michael, I know you got to run. Yep. So thanks so much for for being with me today. Where can people uh, find follow your work and find out more about you? Yeah, 
I mean, you can follow my work, and I'm a better writer than speaker. <laughs> uh, You're great. So both, yeah. my writing and everything is on my website. My, yeah, michaelrechtenwald.com. Uh, you find my essays there, uh, my forthcoming essay, what is a conspiracy theory, but essays on the Great Reset, on uh, woke capitalism, on, on, on wokeness in general, michaelrechtenwald.com, my books, my essays, my media appearances, uh, and everything else about me. I keep it all in one place. Yeah, and I encourage everyone to check it out. We'll put it in the show notes because your, your, some of your articles are really excellently written. They're, and they're very thorough and, and, uh, and fascinating to read. So, Michael, thanks so much again and uh, appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you. If you enjoyed our show, please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast. And give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks for listening and we will be back next week. We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started.